Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It was the best of times. It was the worst of she was the people's princess. We shall fight on the beaches. Away, man. These are the things that made England. We shall fight on the landing ground. These are the things that made I England. I have a body, but of a weak and feeble woman. These are the things that made England. And a king of England, too. These are the things that made England. Cry God for Harry! And these are the things that made England. England! And St. George! These are the things that made England. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Things That Made England. The idea of the show is to decide on what things make England as she is, the country that, despite it all, we feel lucky to be part of. This week, I am presenting Magna Carta as a thing that ought to go in the cabinet of doom, the cabinet of the things that made England. Essentially, the way I saw this episode going, mm-hmm. Royce, is I tell you lots of cool stuff and lecture you, and you lap it up. And so at the end, you say thanks. <laughs> okay. is that you're, all right? you're a man who's quite deluded but but uh, go, go yeah. on sir i mean you normally know. you're really picky and answer me this royfield what is magna carta is it a bit of rights it's a liberty it limits the power of the king it gives the right it gives rights to nobles that the king can't just do whatever the heck he wants and for whatever reason people in the anglo-saxon world uh, have this as a founding document of uh, the rule of, of law and, and you know, that the, the head of state cannot be capricious and do whatever the heck he wants. That's fundamentally it. End of chat. Let's go to the social media roundup. Have you ever heard of the word succinct? Yes, and I've just been incredibly succinct, but you are going <laughs> to blow a hole through that <laughs> word right now. Oh, yes. And you're going to bloviate for another 20 yeah. minutes. So, in actual fact, what it is... Mm. It's not a charter of liberty, it's not a constitution, it is a peace treaty to end the civil war between King John and the barons. And as a peace treaty, how successful was it on a scale of 1 to 10, Royfield, with 10 being very successful and 1 being not successful at all? Not very, because John tries to get out of it. Within Within weeks, within days, we're talking minus marks. It's called Magna Carta, because at the same time, out came something called the Forest Charter, which is the smaller charter. So Mm -hmm. one is a bigger charter than the other. 
Three clauses still on the statute books of English law. Although, interesting enough, there was a theory by a legal historian who said that in actual fact, this predated Parliament and therefore it's part of common law, which is above statute law, so that Parliament cannot repeal it and therefore is known as the inalienable charter. Which has an interesting echo about inalienable rights, which is what our American cousins always bang on about. We will come back to Locke, because yes, he's he's important. Uh, so it wasn't very settled. John declared war on the barons. So what happens to Magna mm-hmm. Carta after then? It gets reissued in loads of different versions, actually. It goes out of fashion then. Through the 15th and 16th century, the idea of a baron's revolt being a good idea wasn't very popular politically. Barons, what? Oh, we don't want one of those. So it goes out of it goes out of fashion until we get a chap called Francis Bacon, who is a very famous chap. Mm-hmm. We must do sometime right at the start of the scientific revolution. Changes the study of history very fundamentally, and he starts to talk about Magna Carta not as a peace treaty, not as a not as the its importance on the positioning of fishweirs on the Thames, which incidentally forms a reasonable part of the uh, Magna Carta. Uh, he starts to talk about it as a statement of liberty and fundamental law. Then you get a chap called Edward Cook, spelt Coke, who's a 17th century jurist. And he then comes out with things, the charter as a statement of liberty against the power of the king. Of course, Magna Carta never was a statement of liberty. It was a statement of liberties for nobility. Mm-hmm. Then we get Hobbes and Locke, and they didn't like Magna Carta. So going mm-hmm. back to inalienable rights, Hobbes and Locke believed in natural law. So they thought Magna Carta was a bit irrelevant because it stands for the evolution of law based on custom and practice and precedent, that sort of thing. So they goes back again. Then we get Freeborn John, John Lilburn, one of the guys we must also do. Have you heard of the Levellers in the Civil War? Once or twice. Good band, the Levellers as well. Absolutely right. Great band. Went to see them with my daughter. Around about the time of the Civil War, Magna Carta is seen by John Lilburn as the liberty of the whole English nation. He calls it was in Magna Carta. And at that time, therefore, Magna Carta begins to be exported. So there are a bunch of royal charters establishing English colonies in America. Can you... Tell us some of these liberties that uh, the no the nobles then had. I will I will come to that in. Oh, so we're doing this in reverse order. Yeah, I'll do that in what a couple of hours. Have you got a pillow? I always record when I'm recording with you with my head <laughs> on a pillow, sir. <laughs> Cup of cocoa to one side, slippers on, and I have a Indeed, little snooze. Yeah, just give me a couple of minutes, and I will get to that. I'll be very quick. But I mean, it was right. it's quite interesting how many of those American colonies have reference to the Magna Carta. So Massachusetts, Maryland, Maine, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Rhode for example. Island. The Massachusetts Body, Body of Liberties in 1641, the Virginia Bill of Rights, 1776. The Fifth and Fourteenth Amendments of the U.S. Constitutions apparently are all quoted in its language, according to historians. Mm. Whether that's true or not, I will wait for somebody to I tell know. me. And then the nineteenth century, Whig historians go out to see Potty, of course. You know Stubbsy and his and his crew, and it's and it's um, not William Stubbsy, Stubbsy and his crew. crew. He would, <laughs> wait a minute, this man wrote yes, the Constitution of England, Stubbsy. right? Pretty pretty important, but it's Stubbsy and his crew. Exactly right. Oh, you're a sharp chap. Constitutional history of England, the statement of Whig history, essentially, this continual progression from Magna Carta through to the perfect English constitution. So and then suddenly it all becomes subject to much more historical analysis and, you know, scientific history sort of takes off, as it were. So is it relevant? Is the mm. question. The point you're basically asking earlier was, is it actually relevant? Is it all cracked up to be? Because it's taken a bit of a beating over the last, I don't know, 100 years. Was that your, you're asking, or did you want to know about specific rights of barons? Well, the Whiggish view is that 
Magna Carta com comes about and it limits the power of the king. But we don't actually know what it says. People know that it's important and it's kind of like this founding mm -hmm. document on whether it's Australia, New Zealand, America, Canada. They, they all, um, their parliaments, their, their governing bodies all, all cite Magna Carta to say that folk can kind of do whatever the heck they want to do with, within reason and the state can't come down on them like, you know, like a hammer. But, you know, what exactly was, was in this Okay, document? so there is, I mean, I say there's a lot about fish weirs. That's important. important. Yeah. What's important about Magna Carta probably is, is the principles it enshrined. So, mm -hmm. first of all, it enshrined the idea that there is a law higher than the king. So, in Magna Carta, a council of 25 barons is set up to adjudicate on any debates between Magna Carta and the king. And it imposes an oath on everyone to that group that is essentially superior to the oath of allegiance to the king. Now, this is a wild concept, completely and utterly unmedieval, unlike, you know, anything going back to anything in the medieval world, certainly. David, uh, let, let's stop on this point, right? Yeah. And this is where I'm completely utterly deferring to you. Good. I like and that. somebody, well, I have to on on occasion, You're probably right. Yeah, right? Probably because right. Um, you did a whole load of work on um, the Anglo-Saxons. I don't mean the Anglo-Saxon world now. I mean the Angles, the Saxons, the Jutes, and the Danes, etc. I was always led to believe that when they came over to these hallowed shores yeah. in the sixth, seventh, eighth century that their view of kingship was was not uh, our view now, that the king was a king of equals, elected amongst, uh, let's say, the great and the good, and that uh, the writ of the king was not necessarily law, that they, they did subscribe to, not, I'm not, I'm not, not going to call it common law, but some notion of, societal, communal, uh, tribal laws of which the king was subject to as well. Well, there is a deep within the Germanic tradition is a principle, principle of, uh, of election. But as you will know, throughout the Anglo-Saxon age, as long as they were a member of the royal family, any of the athelings could become king. The elective principle doesn't really survive. Uh, and there is still this it still has to be a royal family. The concept of lordship is very strong. Nonetheless, there is a principle of consent. So, yes, there is an element there. Um, but what Magna Carta does do is it reinforces the idea of communal rights. So, for example, um, it's, there's a lovely, um, there's one which says, no widow shall be compelled to marry so long as she wishes to remain without a husband. Now, this is something that used to happen where a noble women would negotiate with the king because the king had the right to enforce a marriage and say, right, you're going to marry this bloke. No argument. And what women would do, what heiresses would do is they would negotiate and they'd say, look, if I pay 10,000 quid, will you leave me alone? And they'll say, mm, well, I may call it 12 and yeah, all right then. This makes it a communal law. Everybody has that right. It's not a question of how much you negotiate. It's supposed to be a right now. And although the, the modern view has become as emphasized the fact this is not about democracy, this is about the barons, not about the common people. Actually, it includes all free men, not just barons and bishops. 
And that is unique as well. Well, that's the first um, one of the very early examples of this. I think it's the first, actually. So in 1316, for example, uh, there's a, a similar charter rung out of Philip V in France. And it excluded other classes, you know, specifically said just your nobility. So that is a big thing about Magna Carta. It enforces the idea of communal rights. It is much more than just about the nobility. It's about all free men. And then the third thing, so I mentioned rule, law higher than the king, communal rights. The third thing is this legal stuff about habeas corpus and the jury. You know, so you can't be arrested uh, without charge. You cannot be executed without lawful judgment of your equals. Actually, habeas corpus is probably earlier and the development of jury service probably t- is probably takes longer. But the principle is established in Magna Carta that judgment must precede execution the rule of law essentially is what we're talking about so i lay it before you royfield those are fundamental principles that magna carta embodies but th- th- just what what's whilst we're here david right, right. I, I always get my um early plantagenet kings mixed up who was it edward the first who's who's seen as the the founder of the british judiciary which king is that it's a it, it's an evolutionary process, but certainly Henry II, who is obviously the father of John, has a big impact on the development of law. And it's the first sort of legal tracts began began to be written. But, um, you know, Alfred had had a codex of laws. Knut had an, a, uh, Ethelbert of Kent back in the 7th century had a, had a codex of law. Ina of Wessex had a code of law. So codes of laws were, you know, a f- reasonable tradition. But but so 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 it's Henry. Um, so it's Henry that basically says um, you need to be judged by your peers, and um, there is a, a, a circuit of judges. Uh, well, That's the judgment, judgment by your peers is in Magna Carta. So no man, free man, shall be seized or imprisoned or stripped of his rights. Blah 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 blah, uh, blah, blah, except by lawful judgment of his equals or by the law of the land. So the idea of so jury previously is an indictment process, uh, an investigation process. What's been going on in the locality? Are there any, you know, um, are any crimes been happening? That sort of thing. So it is Magna Carta that starts that process of moving to the kind of jury we, we know now. The principle habeas, habeas corpus, which is habeas corpus which is related which is the principle that uh, you can't be uh, you know you can't be executed without due legal process actually is in the size of clarendon which i think is uh, pre henry the second actually i'm going to have to look up the date of that uh, in 1166 hey, is size impressive of clarendon. off the top of your head obviously nothing to do mm-hmm. with google no Nothing at all. You didn't no, hear me that Impressive. I'm very impressed. Size guy is 1166. So that is Henry II. Again, so the reason why I asked, and I, I got my Edwards mixed up with my Henrys, right? But I knew that what, that there was a lot of this is kind of rumbling on beforehand, you know. So, but is it that it's just quite nice and neat for us to say, ha ha? We, it was the Wild West beforehand. Yeah. All of a sudden, this great document comes along, and okay, really, it's about nobles and barons, but the precepts of it then get taken forward to mean kind of all, well, and free men, then becomes all kind of subjects of the king. Uh, we're a country ruled by law, blah, blah, blah. But actually, just about everything in it, you can actually see, does actually come slightly before. 
there is a value in the Whig view of history. The inevitable progression thing about the Whig view of history is demonstrably tripe. Um, the idea of the English perfect state is obviously demonstrably tripe. Um, but there is an element of truth in the view that things develop uh, and they progress and things build on things. So no, it wasn't the Wild West before. As I say, there were legal codes that go back to Ethelbert of Kent and Ina of Wessex. Ina is, I know, 8th century. When a new king comes to the throne, often they agree to abide by the legal code of a particular king. Edward the Confessor becomes particularly important in that. So anything which says there's a discontinuity and previously it was X and then after it, it was Y is probably wrong. What it is, Magna Carta, is a very significant step on the way that later historians built up into something bigger. Cool. All right. So it's not it's and it's not that it's irrelevant. It's not that it's not important. Mm -hmm. Not as big as some 19th century historians like Stubbsy would have us believe. Nonetheless, it is still very significant. I think this is one topic that our American listeners will just uh, you know uh, run riot with. And uh, as a student of American politics and American history, it's hard not to listen to an American politician or historian uh, not intone the Constitution, 1776, etc. Uh, sorry, the Declaration of Independence, and then the Constitution. And then third behind all that is Magna Carta. And they seem to have a higher reverence for it than we do. Magna Carta doesn't get mentioned in political discourse in the UK the way it does. In the US. It's much rarer and the, the 500th anniversary or whatever it was, however many years it was, 800. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't a lot of kerfuffle, was there? No, not at no. all. So I, I agree. It's interesting, isn't it? It's fallen out of fashion, really. Billy Bragg mentions it from time to time. Mm. Have I mentioned Billy Bragg on every uh, single... Never. <laughs> so it's been great and you've loved, I, I can tell you've loved the lecture, Royfield. Uh, and, you know, uh, why not? You could argue with that. Uh, so, but we've come to the decision time. In the end, I must take the honey of debate away from you and say, is it going in? <laughs> is it going in? Well, I think we all know this is going in. I, I, I'm surprised, though, that you haven't made a, why, uh, a, a stronger case for it. It seems to me like you've basically just says, well, this thing happened. We've all heard of it. Um, people reinterpreted it throughout the centuries. Um, okay, well, let me do that bit again then. It's in. I mean, the thing about historians are is that they're a dull lot and they always uh, reduce things and make them less dramatic. I don't know about that. There's, there's, that wo there's that woman who does stuff on Channel 4 with a bit of a lisp. She's all right. And, and I tell you, David Starkey, yes, I don't necessarily agree with that. He pushes it out. Okay. I mentioned three mega things that Magna Carta does. It establishes the principle that there is a law higher than the king, to which the king is subject. It establishes the idea of communal rights, uh, and therefore the whole community is important, not just the nobility. Mm. And it embodies the principle that, of the rule of law and that you cannot be imprisoned without trial and the process of law. Those are three I would say reasonably big things. Mm. Right, awesome. So that's going in then. I do feel this has been a little bit dreary, Dave. <laughs> Thank you very much.
Thank you so much. You must go into motivational speaking. It'll do. You'll be brilliant. Oh, thank you. I do feel that I bring the sex to these topics, and and you bring what you bring. <laughs> I've sucked the life out of it. I'm a fun. <laughs> Excellent. So before we go, Royfield, uh, fun yeah. sucker that I am, uh, we should hear about what the public thought about our last topic, which of course was Margaret Thatcher. And before I do, millions of thanks to Fiona and Luke for rounding up every week. It's absolutely brilliant. And uh, let's have this one now. Well, well, well. Thatcher proved somewhat divisive. What a surprise. Dear old Maggie, how we miss her so. Actually, even Mrs Thatch would be preferable to their absolute shower that we have running the country at the moment. And breathe. Not the time nor the place, Luke. Not the time nor the place. As it is, I don't quite know how I'm going to cram all the comments into my allotted roundup slot. Let's start with the voting and see how we get on. Royfield, for possibly the last time, gave us some fairly skewed options to choose from, but left the polling open so we could add our own options to vote for. Royfield's choices were While fighting every fibre in my body, I must admit that Margaret Thatcher is an English icon, which has 45 votes. Sorry, I can't do it. Regardless of her legacy, I've always been anti-Thatcher and always will be. Maggie, 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 out, 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 has 20 votes. Then some noble defender of democracy added an option for people who might think the old girl was a good thing, and 20 people have voted for she was an influential and principled politician who led the United Kingdom out of the dark days of the 1970s and helped win the Cold War. Tiffany has garnered 11 votes for she is what tried to destroy England. I don't think Tiffany is a big fan. Jacob added an abstain option for which only he and Harvey voted, which tells its own story, I think. And then Catherine added an option that seems to have fallen foul of the word count allowed, and has three votes for her. Yes, she is iconic. However, she and Ronnie started the downward spiral of both countries to the xenophobic, almost dictatorships that they... We might never know how Catherine wanted to finish it but I'm guessing she's not a big Trump fan. In the limited time I now have left, I'm going to have to focus on just some of the more highbrow points that have been raised on our Facebook page. For instance, Jenna shared Nicki Minaj's shout-out for Margaret Thatcher. Like Minaj, Alan sees Maggie as a feminist icon and pulled TTME as nobody is calling it, up for being blokey and not mentioning the fact that she was a woman, and he shared a fascinating piece by Natasha Walter on the subject. Fiona rode to David and Royfield's defence, no doubt flinging arrows to the left and right, to point out that it had been mentioned, and this sparked off a great discussion on the nature of feminism and leadership. Alan also wrote about the importance of Mrs Thatcher's Midlands and Methodist background in making her different to so many other Prime Ministers. One of my favourite comments was from Marilyn, who told us she kept falling asleep because she was enjoying the episode so much she didn't want it to end. It's worth popping over to the Facebook page just to read Marilyn's comments, in fact. There were some other top anti-thatchering that I much enjoyed, 
along with Michelle, Tiffany, Keir, Kevin and many others. Speaking of Keir, and with a name like that he could only be a staunch Labour man, we have an homage to Maggie in the form of a playlist up on the Facebook group for the delectation of your ears. Homage is one of those words that I can't say without sounding like a bit of a prat, such as latte or schemata. If you like your economic wonkiness, then you need to read Michael's post that comes adorned with a graph, no less. The discussion very swiftly went over the head of this bear of very little brain, but it covers all the good stuff like GDP, monetarist policies and exchange rates. I think there is no better example of the richness of the exchanges we have on our Facebook group than the discussion that Amy kicked off when she asked whether the American Revolution should go into the Cabinet. It is quite some thread with great points raised for and against, including a nice diversion into the nature of teaching of history in the British education system from Callum. I really cannot cover them all here. Best of all, Amy ends it by encouraging the Queen to restore British rule in the United States. What a good idea. I hope that I speak for us all when I say thanks to Royfield and David for a great episode. And I am much looking forward to Magna Carta and beyond. Brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. And thank you so much again. So, Royfield, that is it. Magna Carta goes into the cabinet, as of course it should do. You had a great time. And (laughs) that's it for this week. Uh, Listen, I'm just impressed that I knew that the size of Clarendon was... 1166 and to be fair i only remembered that date because of listening to the history of england so there you go well i'd say it's very impressive very impressive all right everybody thank you very much let us know what what you thought on the website uh about magna carta before we go because in the last episode you put in a cheeky plug i did didn't i sorry about that can i just say if you want to see the precepts of magna carta as a living thing why don't you listen to the mid-atlantic podcast where i dissect an american hot political topic with an english one it's mid-atlantic it's a show all about us and uk politics compared and contrasted excellent sounds fantastic a good way of spending a sunday afternoon right thank you very much royfield it's enough time to go and we'll everybody will see you next time bye bye and these are the things that made england England and st george these are the things that made england Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.